From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Disruption, innovation, and battling complacency. That is the theme of the show. That is what we're talking about. We have one of the world's leading experts on the topic of disruption. And if you haven't noticed, we live in a world where there is a lot of disruption happening in in the business world, of course, specifically, but then also in our personal lives and just the way that things are changing so incredibly fast. And so you're going to hear from Whitney Johnson, who is one of the smartest people on the planet. She literally is in this list called the Thinkers 50, which is pretty much what that list is. And the we're going to talk about when does disruption make sense? When does innovation make sense? When does it not? How do you know if you're disrupting too soon, too late? And what what is what is the word disruption even mean? And when does it apply? And then after the interview, I think as I was processing it, to me, this all centered around the issue of complacency. I think that is how it connects to us at an individual level and, and at a company level is where in your life are you being complacent? And Whitney's going to talk us through some of the threats and the dangers of that complacency and share some of the examples of of teams and companies and businesses who did allow themselves to get complacent and sort of to see what happens. But then after the interview, I'm going to walk you through five cures for complacency, five combatants of complacency that if if there is any area of your life where you're feeling complacent and you are vulnerable to that risk, these are five things that you can do that you can take action on that will help you break free from that or help your company break free or your team break away from complacency, which is a necessary thing to become an ultra performer and a multiplier. So it's a stimulating episode, I would say. I'm so glad that you're here. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 12,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales. But sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. You know, they say that you are who your friends are, and I believe that. And so I try to hang around really, really, really smart people, like brilliant, intelligent people. And that is why I am hanging out today with Whitney 
Johnson. Uh, she literally was named Fortune's one of Fortune's 55 most influential women on Twitter. She's been in the Thinkers 50. She writes for the Harvard Business Review. She, um, this is cool. She's a co-founder of Rose Park Advisors with, if you know anything about Clayton Christensen and this sort of fund and the, the valuations that they help companies get and, and the way that they raise capital is just uh, amazing. And so uh, Whitney has um, a couple books and she has a new one coming out that we're going to talk a little bit about today called Building an A team, play to their strengths and lead them up the learning curve, which will be published by Harvard Business Review Press or Harvard Business Press. Um, you write about the time that this is coming out. So anyways, Whitney, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rory, for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So before we, so before we talk about build an A team, I, I want to talk about disrupt yourself. So it's, it's been a few years since that came out, but um, I know that you talk a lot in kind of coach organizations and executives on, on managing change. And um, I thought the subtitle, putting the power of disruptive innovation to work. The, that phrase, disruptive innovation. So I love that phrase and I hate that phrase. It excites me and it terrifies me. So can you explain what you mean by disruptive innovation? Absolutely. At its simplest, a disruptive innovation is a silly little thing that takes over the world. Mm -hmm. So great examples of that are the telephone took over the telegraph. You had the car take over the horse and buggy. More recently, Toyota disrupted General Motors. Tesla's disrupting General Motors again. We have Netflix disrupting Blockbuster and Uber disrupting the yellow cap. So these silly little things to take over the world. And the reason this whole theory is so powerful that was developed by Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School that you mentioned is that when you pursue a disruptive course, when you're willing to be that silly little thing, your odds of success are six times higher and your revenue opportunity 20 times greater. So that, now that you, you said that like rolled right off your tongue. You said pursue a disruptive course. Like, yeah, just pursue a disrupt, just pursue a disruptive course. So what, is that, what does that look like uh, for an organization? And then what does that look like to the individual to, dis to intentionally disrupt yourself? Like what does it look like and kind of how do you do it? Mm -hmm. All right. So, so one of the big ahas that I had when we were um, investing using this theory of disruption was that this theory that we were applying to products and services and companies and identifying investment opportunities was at a very high level of framework for managing change, beginning with the individual. And okay. so the last five years, I've been researching and codifying a framework of personal disruption so that whether you're scaling a business or trying to build a team or actually just trying to manage your own career, you've got a structure to do this. And so this framework of personal disruption, it has, it's a seven point framework, which I'm happy to go through in just a minute. And my premise is, is that when you are willing to disrupt yourself as an individual, that you're actually able to disrupt as an organization. Companies don't actually disrupt, it's the people who do it. And mm -hmm. so this framework allows you to disrupt yourself and then by extension as an organization be disruptive and basically to manage through change successfully as opposed to having the change manage you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love that. We, we say all the time around Southwestern, you don't build companies, you build people and people build companies. I think that sort of here is like, you don't disrupt companies, you disrupt people uh, and, and you know individuals that go through disruption. Now, the, the, the thing is, is 
you know, I think when you hear that word disruption and, and it can be associated with fear because if you are blockbuster, if you are yellow cab, right? Like it's not a good thing per se for you. So when you say, you know, for me to do it, um, how do you overcome? I mean, I think the big fear here is it's, it's weird because there's a, there's, there is a fear that if I don't disrupt myself, somebody will come and take me out. But there is a fear in actually needing to disrupt myself because I'm having to let go of what I'm used to. I'm having to let go of what is comfortable. I'm having to let go of what is safe. So how do I get over that fear in order to sort of initiate the journey? Yeah. So what you've just described is the innovator's dilemma because it's risky whether you jump to do something new and whether you don't jump. And so you've just described that. And the way through that is whenever you think of yourself um, at the top of a plateau or a learning curve, um, which is what I uh, think, think about when I'm thinking about personal disruption is we tend to think, okay, well, if I can just motivate myself that it's going to be really fun to bungee jump off this curve, <laughs> it will work. But the reality is, is that most of us aren't really into bungee jumping. And so the trick to actually getting yourself to do something new is to make it scarier not to change. Hmm. And so instead of saying, all these exciting things are going to happen if I'm willing to change, if I'm willing to disrupt myself, if I'm willing to jump off this cliff. Instead, if we will say to ourselves, let me think about all the bad things that are going to happen to me if I don't jump. And, and, and behavioral psychology, if you look, study the work of Daniel Kahneman at all, you know that people are actually more motivated by a fear of losing something than we are by the prospect of gaining something. So we motivate ourselves to jump by saying to ourselves, okay, I know I don't want to jump, but if I don't jump, I might lose my job. If I don't jump, our company might go bankrupt. If I don't jump, and that gets us the motivation that we need to, to, to actually make that change. Mm-hmm. So what about, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I think this is a real natural course of the discussion for maybe somebody who kind of has the classic day job and they're going, man, I have this dream to like start my own thing or go, you know, take, take my side hustle and make it my full thing or whatever. What if you exist inside of a larger corporate structure where let's say you are, you know, kind of like the innovator, but you know, like maybe you are the innovator, but you're at Blockbuster where, you know, it's, it's enough to have to f- face the fear of dealing with disruption yourself. And like you're saying, if, if you're in a, like a highly innovative company, that's always evolving, you go, okay, I have to, otherwise I'm going to get replaced by a younger, smarter person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about if you are existing in more of a stagnant structure, like a more, uh, you know, established just kind of like routine sort of rhythmic organization or an industry. It's not even uh, an organization. Well, actually let's ask about the organization. Cause then you have sort of the fear of I'm going to be the thorn in everybody's side and I might get fired because I disrupted. So like, wh- right. So how do you build the case? Is, is the question, right? Yeah. How do I build the case? And, and, and really that goes to the question because I had written Disrupt Yourself, which outlines a lot of what you and I have been talking about. But then the question many people said to me, well, how do I get my, my organization to let me disrupt? And so Build an A-Team was written with that idea of, in mind of helping you think about, okay, how do I manage my team um, in order so that in order for us to be more innovative, in order for us to manage through change. Yeah. And, and also, 
helping you build as a manager a proof point so that you can get your, your manager to be comfortable with you managing this way. There are going to be things that are outside of your control. I mean, you can't, if you're a middle manager, you cannot change what the CEO tries to do. What you can do though is as long as the CEO or your boss stays out of your way, you can make it possible so that the people on your team have the ability to learn and then leap and then repeat to mm. move up that learning curve. And as they're able to figure out ways to play where other people aren't playing, to go sell to clients, for example, that no one is selling to, to go find opportunities in doing that and their willingness to disrupt themselves, they're finding opportunities for your team and then by extension, your organization. And as you build out those proof points, you are in effect packing a parachute for your manager to be comfortable with disrupting themselves as well. And so there's this contagion effect. Like you said earlier, we are the sum total of the people that we spend time with. Well, it's also true that if you yourself are disrupting yourself and you're making it possible for the people who report to you to disrupt, then there can be that contagion effect throughout or ripple effect throughout your organization. And I like that term. Did, did I catch you say that that term proof point? Yes. So that what so what's a proof point? A proof point is is a data point. It's it's a it's a it's a piece of information that says to a person, "Hey, I have this idea. There's something I think that we should do." And they say, "Well, you know, I, I that looks kind of scary. I don't think I want to jump off that cliff." And you're saying, "Well, here's some data that would suggest." So, for example, we let so and so disrupt themselves. We let so-and-so take on something new and look at X, Y, and Z that happened. Our revenue's up, um, our, our retention is up, um, turnover is down, etc. And so you're, you're effectively building out data um, that, that makes it comfortable for other people around you to buy in and, and effectively, like I said, packing a parachute for them. So they'll say, oh, maybe this isn't quite so scary because this person that I'm working with just gave me five pieces of data that suggest that in fact, it makes sense for us to do it. Uh-huh. Then you're just like a test case, you know, you're starting Correct. somewhere, you're proof, it's like proof of concept sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. Do, so do you think, thinking about teams and organizations, do you think it's always risky not to disrupt? You know, like there's these examples that we hear that, you know, in some ways are kind of like hyperbole. It's the big fear, right? You don't want to be the next blockbuster video. You don't want to be the next yellow cab. Are there, are there times when it just doesn't make sense to disrupt? Or do you feel like the, the natural state of things, there's so much change happening that if you're not, if there's not some intentional piece of your strategy to move your team towards disruption, that basically you, you're, you're running the risk of a s- extinction. It might not be tomorrow or the next day, but eventually that's the course. So I, I'm going to answer that question with a yes and a no, because okay. I think disruption honors the biology of change. That being said, there are times when it does make sense to be quiet and to, to pursue the course that you're on. So for example, if you think about this idea of a learning curve or an S curve, that every, every person's on a learning curve, every organization is a collection of those learning curves. So at the low end of the learning curve, when you're first starting in a role, you're first starting in a project, you're very inexperienced um, and you know that you're going to be inexperienced. So it helps avoid discouragement. Um, and also 
you're going to have lots of ideas like, why do we do it like this? And then you move into that sweet spot of that learning curve where you're competent and confident and everything's working. You're humming, the team's humming, and you're at that point going very, very fast and very, very highly innovative. But once you get to the top of that learning curve, there's a period of time before you jump where that going quiet does make sense where you're evaluating, you're getting perspective, you're, you're analyzing what's worked, what hasn't, both for you as an individual and you as a team. And so within that larger um, process of change, there are pockets of time where it does make sense to not be moving forward and to think of yourself as being on the top of a mountain and taking in the vista of what you've accomplished mm-hmm. and where you are before you then make that decision to pack your parachute jump to a new curve and to start that cycle of learning, leaping and repeating all over again. Yeah. Um, and I, we had Adam Grant on the show recently. I don't know if you're, fam- if you're familiar mm-hmm. with, with him and uh, in originals, he talks about how uh, one of the things that makes people original actually ironically is that they, you think of them as risk risk takers, but in a lot of ways they mitigate risk and they're finding ways in some area of their life to sort of mitigate risk, which allows them to take more risk. And, you know, when I think about the blockbuster video example, for them to disrupt, that, that, that probably didn't mean they had to just overnight shut down their stores and go all, along, all online if they would have, they could have had some, some dogs in the race, so to speak. So is that uh, how you, you, would you kind of recommend generally disruption happens? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's interesting that you, you, you bring up that point. It's it also for, for individuals, certainly it's, it's this whole idea of a side hustle, right? Where you, you, you start doing a bunch of little bets that Peter Sims talked about in his book and start testing and iterating on things and, and seeing what might work and what might take before you jump to a new curve. So that again, if you think about it like this, instead of just up here and jumping all the way to the bottom of a new one, you might be jumping here, but because you've taken all those little side hustles or bets or mitigating that risk, when you actually make the jump, you're maybe jumping from here to here, as mm. opposed to from here to here. Yeah. And it, it's, it's weird because you really, the bigger the company is in terms of the more resources it has, it's almost like they really should be the ones that are most well positioned to take a few risks and make a few bets like Kodak film. Kodak really should have invented the digital camera and, and they could have, they probably had the resources to do it. But I guess the, the, the fear is, you know, it's just, you get in such a rhythm that you just sort of you become too, too big. Right. To absolutely. And, and exactly. And so this whole idea of um, personal disruption, there's this learning curve that you're on. And one of the levers of change that you can pull to disrupt yourself. And in fact, is the most, in my opinion, important is this willingness to battle your own sense of entitlement. So mm-hmm. right when you're on the sweet spot of a learning curve, when your revenue growth is accelerating, your margins are expanding, you have this tremendous luxury of questioning of asking, okay, are we making the right decisions? What could we do differently? How could we disrupt ourselves even in little ways right now? But because everything's going so well, it's very easy to say, this is the way things will and should always be. And so we get entitled. Um, and if we're willing to battle our sense of entitlement and to analyze what could we be diff- doing differently and how should we be disrupting ourselves when we have the 
cognitive bandwidth to do it, when we have the financial bandwidth to do it, that's precisely the time when we want to be asking those questions. You know, what, you're, what you just said there, that, that whole little bit is, I, I, yesterday I read Jeff Bezos, he wrote a letter to the shareholders of Amazon and he just, that's what he just talked about is just this continuous innovation. And it's like, they've been number one in all these categories for five, six, seven, eight years but they're constantly just trying to like break stuff and think of new things and, 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 and push the limits. So coming back to, to the new book, so build, build an A-team, uh, the subtitle, play to their strengths and lead them up the learning curve. You've mentioned this a few times, learn, leap, repeat. Did I, did my capture in that? You right? did. You- what, can you walk us through th- what that is and wh- why that sequence and what that means exactly? Yeah, so if you think about this idea of a learning curve, it's in the shape of an S. It looks a lot like a wave. You start at the bottom of that curve, you learn, you move all the way up the curve. Um, and then once you get to the top of a learning curve, which is typically after three or four years, if you're mapping against the 10,000 hour rule, then it's time for you to leap to the bottom of a new learning curve and you repeat. So you start that process all over again. And the thesis of this book, Build an A-Team, is that if you want to build a team, build a company that can manage through change that is innovative, you will make it possible for the people inside of your organization to continually move along these learning curves, recognizing that your organization is a collection of those curves. And in fact, if you want to know if you as a company or team are about to get disrupted, The only thing you need to do is take the pulse of your workforce because if you've got too many people who are at the high end of that learning curve, then you're at risk because that high end of the learning curve, yes, it's the top of a mountain, but a plateau can very easily become a precipice. But if you'll allow yourself, move along the learning curve, three or four years, jump to a new learning curve, three or four years, jump again, your people will stay innovative. They will stay engaged. They will stay happy. And because they are innovative, your company will, by extension, be innovative. Hmm. So it's almost like, so when you said it's three to four years mapping against the 10,000 hour rule, it's almost like you have three or four years to sort of get something launched, get it going, put it, get it, you know, get the systems installed, help it start to scale. And then as that starts to happen, then it's almost like you're, you, then you're, you're looking for the next investment. You're looking for the next, the next right. farm, farm, so to speak. That's right. And so the danger is when you get to the top of the S curve and you just stay there, basically. Exactly, exactly. And, and because, because what will happen is once you get to that top of the curve, the neuroscience says you start chunking everything, you're a master, but you're incredibly bored. And so you're either going to leave and, or you're going to stay. And because you're, you've stayed, you're going to get complacent. And so that's the death knell for you. You're going to get up dialing it in. So you either are going to get fired or you're going to have all these people who are working for you who are like just phoning it in because they're bored out of their minds. So if you want to get those people who are at the top, who are really capable people to continue to be at their best for your organization, you've got to give them something new to do. With For you, working with a lot of people who are in sales, it doesn't necessarily mean they need a whole new job. It might be that if you've been working with, with um, clients that run you know, 
$10 billion businesses, you maybe give them clients that are working with a billion dollar businesses, or instead of, you know, the accounts on the West Coast, you give them the accounts on the East Coast. You reconfigure their team, you give them a new boss. There are lots of different ways you can jump to the learning curve, but you do need to put them in a position where they don't have it all figured out. And in the process of figuring it out, they will innovate for themselves as well as for your organization. Do you think this applies personally, like to the personal life? Uh, Absolutely. In, in, in any way? So this is like, you know, the fitness, like your fitness routine is like you're learning a new fitness thing and then you go up and then you, you, you're disrupting or is there, is there other applications you think personally where you see? Absolutely. This because this is, this idea is of learning. So like it, it, you don't want to get married to a new spouse every three to four years. I don't suspect that's probably not what you're saying. No, you do not. I am not <laughs> saying that. Um, but I do think, but, but to your point, I think there are reasons why, you know, at a certain point in people's marriages, you're like, Oh, huh, we're feeling a little bit bored. So you have a child. Um, I'm being a little bit facetious, but certainly interesting. No, they talk about the seven or eight years. Yeah. Like that, that it's the seven, eight year mark often is a, is a time where you see marriages start to really start to struggle a bit. Right. So you, so you introduce children, um, you find new things to do together. So for example, you were mentioning to me, I think before we started that you and your wife are looking at taking up tennis. Um, mm -hmm. You also can jump to a new learning curve if you you, one of you take on a new job or you move to a new city or you, you know, there are different ways for you to, to jump to that curve. And I think one of the wonderful things about marriage actually is that by working together as a couple, you're actually able to help each other pack that parachute and jump into the curve. And so that you're both developing, but you're developing in tandem with one another, which I think is a really powerful, um, powerful anchor for anyone who is trying to live out a life of continual personal disruption. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I have one last question before we do that. Again, uh, coming out from Harvard Business Press, build an A-team, play to their strengths, lead them up the learning curve. Where do you want people to go, Whitney, to, to uh, you know, connect with you or buy the book and, and stay, stay plugged in? Well, there are a couple things people can do. Um, if any of you want to go to my website, WhitneyJohnson.com backslash diagnostic, you can actually take the S-curve locator and see where you are on your current learning curve. So that's probably one of the, the best ways to get in touch. Um, and then you can um, obviously buy my book, Build an A-Team. It's sold wherever books are sold. Uh, that book comes out or will be out, have been released on May 1st. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So last question always. So this is this, in the spirit of the Action Catalyst podcast is giving people insights that they can actually put into action. And um, so if somebody is listening and, you know, one of the things I think I'm taking away from this is just that complacency is part of the enemy and complacency is a bigger deal maybe even than we realize. Um, if somebody's kind of realizing they're kind of inventorying their life quickly and they're going, you know what, I probably, I probably time to do some disruption. I probably need to shake things up a little bit. What, what's the first thing that you would tell them to do? Or what's the, you know, the, the biggest piece of advice that you'd say, you know, mm -hmm. number one thing for, or first thing is blank. Yeah. The first thing I would say is that if you feel somewhere deep inside of yourself that you need to try something new and you don't, you will die inside a little. Mm. And then the second thing I would say is that if at any point it feels scary and lonely, then you're 
actually on the path to disruption. So, um, because disruption is playing where no one else is playing. And so those would be the first two pieces of advice I would give to anyone who's thinking to themselves, you know, I think it is time for me to disrupt myself, um, knowing that you need to do it so you don't die inside a little bit. And also knowing that if it's, if you feel scared and if you feel lonely, that's actually the path that you want to be on because that's where you're going to see your odds of success um, be the highest in terms of living, living, having a great career, building a fantastic business, um, and and living a life that is is a happy, productive life. Wow, that is a mindset shift. Whitney Johnson is who you're listening to. Whitney, thank you for being here and for scaring the crap out of all of us, and getting uh, us <laughs> excited to to. Uh, be encouraged and inspired to not be afraid of change and make some moves. And I think, you know, this, the S curve idea is really going to stick. And uh, obviously we live in a world of disruption, whether we like it or not. So to have someone bring some researched insights to it really helps a lot. So we wish you all the best. Thank you, Rory. Great to be here. What a fascinating conversation and what a fascinating concept, this idea of disruption. And I think in the business world today, we live in one of the most disruptive times, if not the most disruptive time ever, because you see of all, you know, because technology is changing and communication is changing, there's just like so many things developing at such a fast pace that it's it it's just crazy like it's, it's wild i mean we're see you see businesses that huge businesses that disappear pretty quickly and i i was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about some of the major retailers that are shutting their doors right and amazon has taken over the world and that is causing a, a lot of disruption for a lot of people and there were several other examples that whitney and i sort of addressed and I it's one that I wrestle with just the concepts of disruption and innovation because I'm a big believer in principles and I believe that you know principles last and it's kind of like I believe it was Thomas Thomas Jefferson who said on on matters of style swim with the current but on on matters of principle stand like a rock some, something like that and I you know, I found that to be true. I think Southwestern is a family of companies. Part of how we've stayed around for, you know, since 1855 as, as a family of companies, like we really, we rely and trust and, and put a lot of faith into principles and they, they work and they have lasted. But how does that, how do you reconcile that with disruption and innovation? I think is a fascinating conversation and I don't, it's not one that I would say that I know the answer to. Uh, I think that Whitney's S curve that she talked about is kind of, is kind of interesting of, of being able to predict, okay, where are you at in your, in your business cycle or your life cycle? And just, I think a lot of this is not so much about an answer of, of how to approach, approach disruption and innovation and should you should you change everything that you're doing as a business uh, or not i think a lot of it is just being aware of the potential threat of innovation and the potential opportunity of innovation and having your eyes just open to what is happening in the world around you and not just like being blind to what is going on in the world because i think that can be risky. So it's just an interesting balance, right? And I don't, maybe you see it more clearly than I do, but when I think of this 
I see it as this as a balance, as this this yin and yang of innovate, but also the yang of like you can bank on principles and I think that is certainly something I try to live my life by is is more of one of principles and time-tested truths, not so much chasing the ne- next fad. But I don't necessarily think that's what Whitney was saying. I think what she is saying is, is, is tremendously powerful and important. And so I want to try to connect that for you in terms of how I process this and, and how I th- think you know, this applies to myself and, and maybe you. And... I I I think the big issue here th- that we need to be aware of and the big problem the big potential problem for you and for me and for any business is complacency. Like that is the that is the problem that we we need to be mindful of. That that's the challenge here that needs to be solved. That's that's the issue that this conversation I think speaks to in terms of providing potential solutions because complacency is, I think, an inherent problem. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, you know, quit and get a brand new job or you need to abandon your entire business model or anything like that necessarily. But I think it is cause to stop and say, okay, where am I being complacent? And wherever there is complacency is is likely a potential danger zone. It is likely a place where disruption needs to occur. And thinking towards her S-curve, that's sort of what it's saying is at some point things you know, are new and then they kind of go through growth and it's exciting and then there's this growth, but then they kind of plateau and they level off. And if you just stay there forever, that plateau can quickly turn to a decline and it opens and that could be with your marriage i mean it can be with your with your fitness it can be with your uh, your finances right like you can do a good job of monitoring your money and getting out of debt and then you know growing your income and then you just sort of lose sight of it and and you sort of fall in back into bad habits but I think, and it could be with your business, right? It could be with your business model, your industry. It, it could be with the way you're doing business. So there's lots of different ways it can come up. And I don't, I don't know that it's like you should be saying always disrupt or just constantly innovate and abandon the old. But I think if there's ever been a time in history where you should be more open to that idea, it's probably now because of how fast things are changing. And we're seeing some giants fall. Like we've just in the last couple of decades, we've seen some major giants fall that you would have never thought possible because of just how quickly things are moving. But I specifically just want to talk about complacency as it re- results to your belief level. Because there's there's different ways that you can innovate, right? You can find new customer segments. That's something that we've looked at with uh, Southwestern Consulting is just going, okay, what industries do we we most often reach? And on the one hand, that's really good because you, you know them really well. On the other hand, it kind of opens you up to risk because if something happens to a particular industry and it affects that whole industry, then you know our business would be potentially affected dramatically by it as as a byproduct. And so there's, there's power 
to focus. And there's also a case to be made for diversification, right? And so that's kind of the conundrum here that is going on. But there's new customer segments. There's there's new marketing and prospecting mechanisms for your business. What are new ways to find new business leads? There's, there's new pools of people that you can innovate with. There's certainly new technology. Um, and those are all like great opportunities and places that you can you can look for potential you know in disruption intentional disruption uh, innovation if you if you you know want to use that term but in general wherever you might be experiencing complacency that's just where i want to address and i just want to kind of talk about the belief level and the the attitude issue of complacency and and share with you five combatants of complacency. I'm going to walk you through these five combatants of complacency. Um, And number one is to raise your expectation level, right? So if you feel like you're at the top of some category, that is often when complacency steps in. It's hard to be number one, like it's because you don't, you're not gunning. There's no one to gun for. Like when, once you realize you're the biggest fish in the pond, it's almost like you want to be in a bigger pond because you need to be around bigger fish. Otherwise you become complacent, which opens you up to all sorts of these, this risks and challenging. So these challenges. So there's definitely people out there who are operating at a level that are you know, can push you. And I think one of the things you have to do that is a great way to combat complacency is get involved in community with people who are ultra performers. They're multipliers, like raise your expectation level. That is what, you know, that is what, what you want to do. There's so much power in being surrounded by other people who are big thinkers. Um, Number two, is to reduce your risk, reduce your risk. So one way to kind of combat complacency is you go, okay, so maybe you've acquired a lot and you have achieved a lot and it's realizing that you have a lot to lose as a result of that, right? If you have accumulated a lot of whatever, notoriety, influence, stuff, et cetera, a big business, then then that's great, um, but the next step, and this is something, the more that you spend time around super wealthy people, they their conversation shifts to not only just how do I make more money, but how do I protect? How do I protect what I have? A reducing risk. And so, you know, that's like in more of an insurance conversation. It's, it's reducing the risk of loss. So it's protecting what you have. And so there are a lot of things, if, if you are in a stage where you have been conquering and you've been acquiring and you've been achieving, and now you're kind of like, well, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. One of the things that can sort of light a fire is, is opening your eyes to some of the risks that you may not be aware of. And then there's a lot you can do to reduce those risks, right? Right. Like in an organization, this just can be developing new leaders in the organization. So it's not all dependent on you or your senior leaders or whatever. In your financial life, it could be paying off some real estate debt, right? That's a way that you can reduce risk. And maybe you've you know created wealth through leverage or whatever, but now you're reducing risk. And so you're going, okay, I want to not be on the hook for large mortgage payments or whatever. Um, 
another way to reduce risk is to be investing into research and thinking about what is coming ahead in the future, kind of going, okay, so if we are in a good place, like what Whitney was saying is she was saying, you know, that is the best time to be thinking about disruption is like when you have the luxury of being secure, it's much harder when you're forced to innovate because then you're behind the curve and you're sort of, you're sort of, trying to get above water, you're, you're scrambling for breath. But if you can realize, okay, we're sort of at that mature point in this area of my life or this part of our business or et cetera, et cetera, you go, well, I think, um, let's, you know, let's figure out ways to, to sort of reduce our, our risk. That is interesting is, is looking ahead and, and planning ahead and researching on, on what are some of the things that are happening and if it's sort of like if you if you have all your your ducks in a row a little bit, you can be a little more strategic about maybe some of this disruptive conversation. So that is number two. Number three is just to create new challenges for yourself. Create new challenges. So start start thinking, what is the biggest possible thing I could accomplish? What is what is your wildest dream? What is the most over-the-top thing that you have never previously thought possible. And think about that and then go to work on it. Like if you're in a comfortable place, that is the time to go, okay, that, that is the time to really start thinking wild and really choose like, okay, well, what, what, would this, what would this look like? Because you're a different person today than you have ever been before. And that means you're capable of achieving things that once weren't really possible or realistic, right? Like something five years ago, some idea to you five years ago might have been impossible or fairly impossible or unrealistic, but now five years later, it's not. And if things are going well for you, you go, okay, you know what? I could, I could take a little bit of my time and, and do something fresh or exciting or really like swing for the fence on on something you don't have to bet the whole farm but you go what just create a new challenge just create a new challenge and it, again this applies to all different areas of your life like you know what maybe i want to run a marathon maybe i want to do a triathlon maybe i want to climb mount kilimanjaro like that's a fitness thing but just you have the luxury of creating new challenges of of disrupting yourself which i think is is really cool and to the point of you know whitney's new book about building an a team some of this can also be like you, you know you can have a, a small team or a dedicated team that is focused on more of what's the future so you might have this big operation of going like oh, okay this is all the stuff we're doing but then it's not a bad thing to have a couple people or a person or just some portion of your time thinking ahead going okay well what would be what would be a new challenge something that we've never done before uh, which leads me to number four which is invest in significance invest in significance if you are feeling complacent okay that probably means you're successful which is great so you're successful awesome there's lots of successful people. You know what there's not a lot of? There's not a lot of successful people who help make other people successful. 
there's not a lot of successful people who help make other people successful. That is significance. That is legacy. So, you know, the question is, who are you taking with you? Who are you pouring into? Who is still going to be here changing the world when you're gone? And so maybe you have mastered, you know, in some regards, you've mastered the, the path that you are on. Maybe you have mastered the path that you are on. So then the question is, okay, great. Who are you taking with you? How are you building a team? Who, who are you training? How are you developing up the next generation of leaders? That is investing in significance. It's a form of, of, of disruption because you're spending your time from doing to then teaching other people to do so that they can kind of come along with you. And I think that is really, you know, a powerful, powerful thing. Um, then number five, the last one, and I, this, is, this is the best one. This is the best one is to focus on giving. Focus on giving. Complacency is a sign of self-centeredness. It is. Because complacency says, I have all that I need, so I don't need to work anymore. But a servant mindset is one that can never be complacent because a servant's mindset is never just about themselves. It's always about helping others, giving to others. And when, you're, when, it, when it comes to helping other people, your work is never done. It's never done. It's one thing when you, when you live in a world of yourself, you go, okay, these are the goals I have. And maybe you hit them. And you go, okay, great. I hit my goals. And so now what? Right? That's, that is a breeding ground for complacency. But somebody who is a servant where you go, you live in the life of a, a context of how do you help and support other people, then if you live in that context, your work is never done because there's always someone in need. There is always someone who is struggling. There is always somebody that you can help. And if you aren't finding that, if you're, if you're finding that you're complacent, it might be because you're living a self-centered life. If you are finding that you are complacent, it might be because you're living a self-centered life. You're not thinking about all the people you could be helping. You're not thinking about all the good you could be doing. You're not thinking about the difference that you could be making. And my guess is that your work is probably not as meaningful and as significant as you once thought it to be. And that's because the money, the title, the fame, the awards, the recognition, all of those things eventually sort of lose their allure. But a heart of service always inspires, always motivates, always sustains. And so perhaps the cure for your complacency is simply found in being focused on serving other people. I think when you are focused on service, disruption and innovation in the healthiest sense are always taking place. You're finding new ways, better ways to love, to serve, to lift up, to support, to educate, and to help. So, be a servant and you will be an innovator. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. 
If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.